Welcome to the Love Positivism podcast. I'm Shireen Oberg and I'm a yoga teacher and author devoted to the path of healing and heart-based living. And I want to help you to step into what you truly are and to your highest potential. On this podcast, I share with you tools and insights to help you move ever forward on your spiritual and healing path. With guests from all over the world, from different wisdom traditions, I wish to create a web of loving energy that permeates the whole world to create more love and peace. You can connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube for more guidance and love. Hello to all you loving beings. Thank you so much for being here on this week's episode. I have the beautiful Megan Watterson as my guest and she's been such an inspiration to me uh, and what she's been sharing about Mary Magdalene has really been such a heart-opening experience for me and she's the author of Reveal, the Sutras of Unspeakable Joy, the Divine Feminine Oracle and Mary Magdalene Revealed and she's the co-author of How to Love Yourself and sometimes other people. She's a feminist theologian with a Master of Theological Studies from Harvard Divinity School and a Master of Divinity from Union Theological Seminary at Columbia University. Megan facilitates the Red Ladies, a community of radical love that lets her preach about female saints, mystics, gurus and poets who inspire and teach us to live in service of love. She also leads retreats and workshops on the Divine Feminine, Mary Magdalene, and the Soul Voice Meditation. And she has been such a, truly an inspiration for so many women in the work that she's doing and how she's really revealing these hidden teachings of these uh, divine feminine beings and goddesses and and saints so this episode was really special to me and I was so happy to talk with her because I love I'm I've been reading Mary Magdalene Revealed which has such amazing and inspiring and loving words in it and it's been so blessed to learn so much from her And I'm really excited to also share that next Monday on the 31st, I have a workshop on the Mind Body Spirit Festival. I've been sharing it on Instagram. It's it's a beautiful festival where I will hold a workshop all about releasing the veils of illusion for you to remember what you truly are. And in this workshop, I will share the yogic philosophy, Vedantic philosophy behind this and how it's said that we are living in a veil of illusion with our sensory experience and we can find back to our true essence through meditation. We will do meditation and learn mantras uh, to come back to ourselves and it's a great way to release if we have any attachments that we are trying to release now especially when we're in this eclipse season if we want to release old thought patterns and things that we are um, holding on to that are not serving us so that's going to be on Monday you can connect with me or just uh, go to Mind Body Spirit Festival it's going to be an online workshop and you're very welcome to come and I'm so excited that it's less than a month left now until my book is released and there's so many of you that have been pre-ordering the book I'm so grateful for that and I'm still doing oracle card readings for those that pre-order the book so if you do pre-order it connect with me on instagram or email me at lovepositivism at gmail.com and I will do the reading for you Uh, 
And lastly, I want to really uh, thank my show partners, Ace of Air. They are sponsoring this uh, episode. They are the first and only fully circular beauty and wellness brand with a line of clean vegan skincare and supplements that have been synergistically formulated at the intersection of herbalist wisdom and modern science, focusing on rituals that work from the inside out. You can learn more if you visit aceofair.com. They're really uh, taking care of Mother Nature, Mother Earth with their uh, philosophy and their mission. So I'm truly happy to have their support in my work and to support them as well. And on Instagram, you can also find them if you search for Ace of Air. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you do have any feedback or comments, you can either leave your rating or review on iTunes. That means so much to me. And you can also connect with me on Instagram. So enjoy this week's episode. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm so excited to talk to you today. And I always start by asking uh, my podcast guests to share any type of daily mindfulness practice that is within your practice or something that you want to share that takes you back to your body and the present moment. I practice something called the three breaths, which is a part of uh, the soul voice meditation, uh, which is also something I practice daily. But the three breaths is something that I, I practice more than just once. Like I pretty much practice it throughout the day. And it's very simple. It's just taking a first intentional breath. And with that breath, you imagine your consciousness. You just imagine an anchor sort of dropping you from out of the mind, out of your thoughts, out of the ego, down into the heart. And then you take a second intentional breath from within the heart. And with that breath, you are connecting to the absolute truth of who you are. You are connecting to the essence of your soul. And, and that connection then is what you bring with you when you take your third intentional breath and then you open your eyes back up again if you've closed them and you have that sense of being realigned. And the the three breaths really serve as the, um, for me, that's the, the, the core of the soul voice meditation, but I use the three breaths more often all throughout the day. For example, before you know, having a conversation with someone before um, going, you know, to, to pick up my son and getting myself from out of my head or where I may have been and making certain I'm, I'm really anchored in my heart when I encounter him or anyone else that I may throughout the day. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love that because I think like, um, working with our breathing and our breath is it, it's a free and simple tool that we can use every day to right. like come back slow down or even energize if we need to do that I mean in the pranayama work we do both ways but usually we need to slow down and and become very conscious um, and I think something that I really love with this practice that you just shared is that sometimes I, I say to uh, the students in a yoga class to bring down their consciousness into their heart. So I think with the breath, it makes it more tangible and um, yeah, easier to visualize that, right? Exactly. And it, and it sounds very simple because it is, however, it has the power to transform your entire life. Because when we are present as we're living our life, that is when we can make new choices. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Thank you for sharing that. And I would love for you to 
um, introduce yourself to the listeners, who you are and, and what you do and what your life's mission has been so far. I am a author and a feminist theologian, and I've been incredibly blessed from the fact that since I was a very, very young girl, I just always knew, as in the Greek word gnosis, knew, direct experience, I knew that the purpose or the mission, um, the the thing really that lit me up the most, either enraged me the most or um, fascinated the, me the most, like what was most gripping to me was the voice of women within religion. And um, it began in, uh, in a Sunday school class at a very liberal Christian uh, denomination. It's called Unitarianism here in the States. And my mom, who's a feminist, had suggested that I go because I, I wouldn't stop talking about, you know, like, where did we come from before we were here? Where did we go when we die? Like, what happens to the body? Is there something more than the body? Like, you know, just these this constant barrage of questions. And so she, she suggested that I start going to the Sunday school classes. And when I encountered the New Testament for the first time, I broke out in hives. And this to me was the beginning of a truth I really had to live into, which was that the body never lies. You know, I broke out in hives and I wasn't entirely sure why, but I was also incredibly angry at the way that um, we were missing women's voices. You know, we were missing their stories, their direct experiences, and that God was um, portrayed and understood to be male and masculine only. And, um, you know, also the, the interpretation of Christ as, you know, this, this savior and um, all that I was learning about Christianity with um, the aspect of it that would say, you know, Christ would condemn, uh, you know, same-sex unions. Christ would condemn, you know, um, sex outside of marriage or, the, you know, the dogma of Christianity. Just, uh, it was as if I knew a different template. You know, it was as if I had already experienced a completely different uh, understanding of Christ. And so when I met up against that one, the only thing my body knew to do was completely go haywire. And, um, you know, so I left the church, um, just a wreck, literally like full-blown hives sobbing. And I, I never went back. However, um, I never gave up on that moment. I never gave up on trying to figure out why I had such a powerful response to my first encounter with Christianity. Mm. That is so interesting. And there was this, it sounds like there was uh, a strong remembrance and just something this triggering you was also what led you on the path that you're on. So it was like right. your body speaking your soul through these right. <laughs> these physical things. And I really right. I I really I I so understand exactly what you're saying because I always had um uh, as a child I always was into a little bit like these odd mysterious books and things like that that no one else seemed to read but I, I loved and when I was a teenager I had a deep um it, it was actually around uh, my grandfather passing that I had uh, a deep just connection with everything and I started feeling for the first time that I, I 
I believed in God and and what it what it means and all of this and but still I was in a so uh, my my parents were not religious but uh, they they were from Kurdistan so they were uh, their religion was uh, is Islam and mm-hmm. um, but not practicing or we were we were more more mostly a spiritual family like Mm -hmm. most Kurdish people and um, but as time went and I started also on my journey on my spiritual path I I had this longing to be in devotion and even so much that I thought maybe I should become like a Christian nun (laughs) because (laughs) I wanted to be like in full like how can I be in full devotion but something was not like completely right. I, I, it was still something that did not feel perfect for me. And it wasn't until I like gained more and more knowledge about these concepts and, and yeah, the, these religions that has been uh, very predominant, uh, the monotheistic religions, um, that there's such a strong... Uh, patriarchal influence in it as you describe also in your book and I've been learning so much from your book like why has it been like that and it's it's uh, colored by uh, the societies that that have spread this and and when I the first time encountered a deity that was a goddess in a in a drum, drum circle I really felt like I found something something that I could relate to so much more so I totally understand it's the it is so beautiful uh the the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Mary Magdalene and it hasn't been uh so I was watching I also want to share this because just coincidentally I was watching this week different documentaries about um different uh, Christian groups in the U.S. actually, because in Sweden it's pretty secular. We don't have that much of, most people don't believe anything or we're still nature worshippers because people in Sweden love to go out whenever (laughs) it's warm because like today it was like really warm. Everyone is out. But we don't (laughs) understand that we're worshipping nature. We think that it's just because it's warm. And um yeah, these documentaries were portraying, it was different documentaries. And one was like these really, really, um, I think it was a, a group of, I, I can't remember, but they were more fundamentalists and um, uh, and some groups were more extreme, but everyone was telling different stories of what the Bible says, like, Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, the Bible says that we can't have cell phones. And the other one says, yeah, if you're uh, like, it's it's like it's colored by by the society so much. So we can't really uh, know anything until we start diving deep and understanding things for ourselves. Yes. So I thought that was very interesting to see societies where it's so, so strong Yes. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with this, but I, I thought that <laughs> what, what you, you just described also <sighs> in your upbringing and everything that that your reaction to it. So when you started to when you dedicated yourself to becoming uh, this feminist, more feministic uh, theologian, what what did you discover and and did you study many different um cultures and and the different religions from all over the world maybe you want to share that yeah i started with trying to find the voice of women and um as you mentioned stories of goddess or female buddhas for example um throughout world religions so i I went to Harvard Divinity to to be able to do a comparative study of where exactly these female and feminine forms of the divine um, were and and what wisdom did they have to share. Um, And so 
most of that I compiled into my first book, Reveal, and then also an oracle that I created called the Divine Feminine Oracle. And those are those were uh, the holy ladies and the sacred rebels that I came across that began to really transform uh, my life because it validated what I was hearing and experiencing inside of me. So I wasn't finding it in traditional uh, patriarchal world religions, but in these voices of female mystics and saints and gurus and poets, even many of the poets were revolutionary and throughout the different world religions and throughout history, they've always existed. And they've been talking about a capacity for every one of us to be able to access a truth within us. So this idea of returning to the heart and there being able to connect directly to the divine. Um, and, and so when I finished that, that degree, I, I felt like I had the, you know, it's like, I, I felt like I had this, um, support system. You know, I, I had behind me going all the way back, you know, all these different saints and mystics that would go with me into seminary because I knew I had to go back to the Christian tradition. I just wanted to first immerse myself in the voices of the divine feminine so that I could handle why I had such a visceral physical reaction to Christianity as a little girl. And so then I went to, it's called Union Theological Seminary in New York City at Columbia. And that's seminary is the formal training that any minister has to undergo before um, leading a church. I knew I was going to go for my own research. I knew I was never going to be ordained. I wanted to go and figure out what happened to the voice of women within Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I felt capable emotionally and, you know, as a scholar, I felt capable of doing it after my research at Harvard. And so I went to the Christian tradition then and studied for three years, really immersing myself in the texts, um, many of which were considered Gnostic texts. And what that means is that um, there are these scriptures from the before the fourth century. They, they date between the first and the third century. And they are early Christian scriptures that from the fourth century onward, the Christian Bible was created in the fourth century. And um, there were many of those scriptures that were deemed Gnostic that were not included. And what I was so curious about was why weren't these scriptures included, you know, if, if they were just as historically valid and if they were just as much as a part of the Christian tradition before the fourth century, why weren't they included? And what I found was that these quote unquote Gnostic script scriptures, what they had in common is that they validated that message that the truth is within the kingdom of God is within. And they validated that no human being is ever unworthy of God. Like there's absolutely nothing, not our sex, our sexuality, our gender, nothing. Like there's nothing that could ever uh, prove or merit some sort of unworthiness to God that, that didn't exist. And that women were a central part of this early, what I refer to, and many other scholars refer to as Christ movement um, after his crucifixion there. And there was uh, also within the, the scriptures like the gospel of Philip, the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of Mary Magdalene. Um, there was the emphasis on Christ and Mary as partners um, that they were um, meant to be seen as a, you know, teaching together. It, it wasn't meant 
to be viewed as Christ singular. It was meant to be viewed as Christ and Mary. There was something very important and significant that we needed to witness and were, ha, are, are still meant to witness in seeing his teachings coupled with hers. Um, and so her gospel became uh, a central focus of mine then for the remainder of my, my work. And um, once I finished the academic work, then I started on uh, pilgrimages to also personally devote myself to her legend, right? Because scripture only takes us so far in word. Then we have to go to another place uh, in soul and and with our physical being. So um, I I went to the south of France and uh, several times and wanted to be able to return in a sense. Obviously, I'm a <laughs> I'm a Midwestern you know, girl from the United States, born into a very secular family. Um, but when I, when I went to the South of France, I felt very much as if uh, I could remember, I could remember more uh, of what I meant to, who I meant to be and of what I meant to do. And, um, and, and really also the teachings in Mary's gospel I felt like I understood them, not just in an academic way, but from within my heart. Mm. Yeah, well, it's everything that you're speaking about and your journey, it's, it's so beautiful. And uh, the way you also presented all of this in, so I've been reading Mary Magdalene Revealed. Um, I definitely want to read Revealed as well. And um, it's so interesting that how, how would it have been if everything had been included from the beginning? Right. Because it yeah. just feels like two different, almost two different uh, religions, but it's not. Yeah. And in the end, it's, it's not, it's so it, to me, it's so like I've I've always thought that knowledge is like key. You can like when we know things, it can be from the heart or from the like mind. But all types of knowledge is is like gateways that open up something bigger for us. And mm -hmm. when we narrow it to just say, but only this is right. You know, in in when we talk about in Vedanta, it's it's like you, you've probably also studied that since mm -hmm. been, yeah, like just this this non-duality. So mm -hmm. um, it's really like from a yogic standpoint, very rajastic to be so um, discriminating that you only think that the way you interpret something is right because um and at the same time also when you don't have all the information you don't have the full spectrum of right of what happened the stories and everything and i think that's what's really uh like your book has really put a, another piece of the puzzle i think also uh, it's it's a more loving so also in i mean in hinduism and and what we learn in in now the yoga lineage that i'm in is 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 this path of devotion and bhakti is is really mm -hmm. it comes from the heart right and it's mm -hmm. like the easiest way so mm. why has everything been so um it's been like the opposite way it feels like mm. if you're putting fear into someone about what would happen if you're not conforming to these rules or having that exact belief system that's then it doesn't come from the heart anymore then it comes from your mind and your subconscious fears and fear of ending up somewhere and i feel like it's so hard to 
have these types of conversations with a very like more narrow minded uh, and uh, maybe not narrow minded but more that you're so into one thing that mm. you, it's like saying no i only uh i don't know i only eat this yeah. never eat anything else <laughs> it's <laughs> why and and then w- when we practice like when we we're in in kirtan and all of this we we even mention like it's it's not only uh hinduism it's ev- uh, all religions all prophets mm-hmm. all saints uh people who have been on on this planet uh, that have been masters in some way it's so interesting like i can't mm. stop being interested in all of them <laughs> so i'm just i think that we're just i think that it's it's um we all have different paths uh, i have full respect and and uh, understanding that that you're very uh, like if someone is very passionate but it's it, it when it goes wrong is when it's there's judgment and right. if you say that the 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 way you believe and think is the only way to heaven then that's judgment but you don't think it's judgment but it is judgment right 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 and and you know ultimately what it comes down to is the ego which mary's gospel addresses so well it, it it's about power it's about those external powers that convince us you know that that somebody is less than what we are or who we are and what's so fascinating to me in in my research about why those you know, like for example, the Gospel of Mary, or or another scripture that I'm I'm so passionate about, uh, the Acts of Paul and Thecla, because mm. in the same way that Christ had Mary as a um, companion, Paul had Thecla as a as a spiritual companion, and even even non Christians have heard about Paul the Apostle, but almost no one, not even Christians, have heard about Thecla, and so it's that erasure of the female and the feminine counterpart that that really helps us to understand the the power dynamic that was at play when in the fourth century the bible was being chosen like which which gospels were chosen and and how the story what uh harvard scholar karen king refers to as the master story you know of of Christ and and God the Father and salvation only through Christ the Son, how that master story was developed had everything to do with the Roman Empire's structure of power and authority that already existed, which was that learned, educated men, landowning, educated men were up at the top and women and slaves were down at the bottom. But what Christ was so concerned about and what those early Christians that were a part of the Christ movement, um, which scripture like the Gospel of Mary articulates, what they were interested in was something so radical and dangerous to the Roman Empire that if you said you were Christian before the fourth century, you were murdered, you were killed, you were, you know, you were put in the arena um, and sacrificed. So it was so threatening because Christ and those early Christians wanted to make the first last and the last first. They wanted to say that there is no human being. There is no human being ever created in any time that doesn't also have this capacity to embody the divine. We are all, that is the ultimate power right? We, we, we think that power exists outside of us. We think that power exists in this emperor, um, you know, who is at the top, who was basically the God. There was to be no power greater than Caesar. And what Christ was saying is actually there is a power greater than Caesar. Not only that, it's love. And not only that, it exists within all of us equally. And that was like, you know, because then, then we, we would each have to see each other as brother and sister. You know, we would each have to 
literally treat each other as our neighbor, no matter who we are or where we come from or what's happened to us, uh, mm-hmm. what occupation we have, you know, how we support ourselves. It, it, we, it would transcend every class, every, everything, everything that the ego has created to align someone with a position of power. It just gets, you know, it just gets eliminated because it's saying, whether you're a slave or you're Caesar, you have this kingdom of God within you, right? Mm -hmm. So there's an essential part of every one of us that is absolutely equal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we're truly in that understanding, then we start like separating ourselves and dividing up and, and, this mentality of us and them which is right. going on for so long and we right. can see also this ment- how this has affected like the the cultures in europe and um i've been reflecting also on like here in sweden that is really yeah like nature-based in origins maybe you studied that as well it was like these um very wise women and men what happened to them during the time of um there's different places in stockholm where there was um and burning or killing the killing of these uh very yeah because they were practicing something that was ancient and right that has and can't be controlled you can't control somebody who knows that they have direct access to the divine from within them. Mm-hmm. You can't control them because yeah. there's, there's nothing you can sell them or convince them of like they, mm-hmm. you know, the, the temple is within. Yeah. So there's, you can't control or manipulate uh, a, a person who has woken to that uh, great, big, unsayable love inside of them. Mm. Yeah. And that actually, that, that, what what you're saying is also a key to releasing a lot of fears and also being able to um, perceive the world in a almost like always in an objective way instead of becoming one with everything that's happening in the world and of course everything affects us but we can also take a step back and and from that um, from that space in the heart then everything else can dissolve because in there there's like we're just filled up it's always like full right Right. really beautiful and I think that what's happening right now with I think that we're awakening the consciousness and the remembrance of especially in our cultures even I mean if you look at at um, uh, older religions and that has always the the feminine has been always present Um, Mm. and then when we look back like even more ancient times like the goddesses and all of this it was like a natural thing to so if if we were just a new people on earth and I see myself and my body and I see a man and and then it's natural to understand that also, there would be both. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's natural. And, and I, I was listening to a Vedantic scholar and he said, uh, Swami actually, and he said, uh, yeah, so when we're thinking about the divine and we don't say that uh, God, the father was laying there and birthing life, it's the mother. <laughs> so <laughs> it was such a good, the way he said it was so beautiful that it must be a divine feminine aspect the shakti or the the universal womb it's it's like the it's two different energies and what i love is that you have merged these two and when i'm reading your book now i i'm really thinking about uh um it was also a drum journey i think but we were supposed to so in the in the very first one I did a couple of years ago, I saw uh, Goddess Ishtar, but I didn't know mm. who she was. I have only heard that name because I had a friend with that name when I was a child. 
<laughs> so when I saw her and the symbolics and I searched, like Googled everything, I was really first scared <laughs> and then shocked. And then I'm like, okay, so I, I'm getting this. And maybe it's from my physical ancestry as well. And then uh, a couple of years later, I, we were supposed to meet guides during a journey. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll meet like someone that I know or an angel or, or something. Mm -hmm. I, I had no idea what I was going to meet. And I wake up in this journey on a beach and I see a person coming towards me. And I'm just like, who, what is that? Who is that? And I said, <laughs> it, it sounds crazy, but I saw, first I saw Jesus Mm -hmm. And I'm, as I said, I'm not religious. I don't even have a Christian background. And, <laughs> and then as he walked towards me, he turned into, he shapeshift into Mother Mary. Mm -hmm. And then when she came even closer, she shapeshift into Mary Magdalene. And that's mm -hmm. such a beautiful trinity, like mm -hmm. the mother of God. And yeah. birthing, I, I don't know, it was so beautiful and so symbolic. And when I'm reading your book, it reminds me of that as well. Yes, the there's so much that we lost without those scriptures that were, you know, deemed heretical in the fourth mm -hmm. century. There's so much we lost that he left to Mary Magdalene. So, and and to me, that vision what it speaks of is that lineage of love that he left through her gospel. And it's a very unique message um, because it's a message that the disciples would have had to uh, learn and embody in order to receive um, in real time. Because at the end of her gospel, uh, Peter questions everything she's revealed to them, um, which were these visions actually that she had of Christ. And in the vision, she asked Christ, how is it that I'm able to see you? You know, like with, with what human aperture, you know, with what aspect of my being, like, how is it that I can see you in a vision? And Christ says, it's neither with the soul nor the spirit, but with the mind between the two. But in its original form, that word mind in English is, is somewhat lost in translation, but the original in Greek is N-O-U-S, new, which means the highest aspect of the soul or the spiritual eye of the heart. So there is a capacity that we all contain, which I would say is a feminine attribute that we all, no matter what, you know, how we understand our sex or gender, it's something that's innate to being human. We can access this power of vision. And Mary reveals in her gospel that that's how she receives these secret teachings from Christ is from within this spiritual eye of the heart. That's how she sees it. And Peter at the end, you know, who becomes one of the foundations of what would become, you know, the Petrine school of, of, it's it's very much the patriarchal understanding of of Christianity. Um, he he doubts her and says, "So are we to think that Christ gave Mary a woman these teachings and didn't didn't tell us?" So basically, he's pointing out that system of of power, right? That hierarchy that they that he was still functioning within that he had more power. He was somehow more worthy than Mary would have been. Mm -hmm. And one of the other disciples, Levi comes to her defense. And that's exactly what he says. He says, if, if the savior considered her worthy, then who are you to disregard her? So it's that worth. And what's so phenomenal is that they would have had to understand that she was worthy right? She wasn't less than them in order for them to believe her and to receive those teachings. But they couldn't, obviously, they, they didn't. And her gospel wasn't included. And then in the fourth century, and then by the sixth century, the story had been rewritten that she was the penitent prostitute, and the faithful were, were to refer to her as the penitent prostitute, which was all a fiction. And the Catholic Church has apologized for that. Mm -hmm. um, 
but not until the 19, you know, not until 1969. So that for millennia, um, she was misunderstood. And what we lost, what we lost is that validation of that direct connection. Like what, what you experienced, it's like so many of us would discount that then and say like, oh, it's just my imagination. Oh, you know, uh, it was something I ate or, oh, I must've seen a movie that made me, you know, and we discount it. It's so hard to believe that we could ever be that powerful, right? That we could close our eyes, go into the heart and receive a message directly from the divine. Like that's so hard for us to understand because we've really believed that system of, of hierarchical power that to the extent that we think an angel would be above us, or we think God is above us. We think, you know, someone in power is above us. We, you know, we think these things and they keep us from hearing what is, you know, often repeating itself. Uh, as if a loudspeaker from within us, but we don't hear it and we don't recognize it because it's so hard for us to understand that we, we are directly connected to something greater than we could ever imagine. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. And I think when we're only following and um, not listen, it can be so as well. It's really hard to let's say that you have a fifth or sixth sense and you can um, feel spirits around you. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to convince someone else right. to start having that belief system, but also even understanding how it feels or what it means. And it's the same with this, what you're saying, because you can, you can, you can believe in, in the spirits, but if you haven't had that experience, you don't really know. Then you just follow what someone else is saying. Right. To you, right. Right. And you're you're articulating the definition of gnosis so perfectly mm -hmm. because that gnosis isn't just learning something like apprehending it intellectually. You know, someone telling you something. Oh, and then you know it. Mm -hmm. Gnosis is having that direct experience. So mm -hmm. you know something in a way where no one else has to know it for you. Mm. Yeah. And that's the whole purpose of when, when we're actually, we don't know it, but when we're practicing really med meditation and really going mm -hmm. within, that's, that's mm -hmm. the purpose. It's not to, to conform to what others are saying. And also, I love this, this thought of having a devotional practice that everyone has, that everyone can have really unique and uh, their own practices and why would that be bad because we're all different shapes colors mm -hmm. sizes so why can't we worship in different ways mm -hmm. it's all the same so i think that it the, what's sad is that we still after 2000 years have this patriarchal way mm -hmm. and many countries i mean um Mm -hmm. there's so many countries that are still still in that and it's bo both cultural and it, it's mostly a human instinct thing it's not it's no religion has I don't know maybe some sects maybe but they, they can't be religions that are only based on that it's like cultures and people's egos like you said that mm -hmm. have shaped that so it's really sad, but what I what I love is that now, um, as we're more liberated and we're going into these new paradigms and we're really in there, there's so many that are, and especially those that have felt like no, like we have been spiritual, but not felt like really that that anything fits our own knowing that now we can get these, uh, these things revealed to us that is, is so yeah. important. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so exciting for, for me as a scholar that these scriptures, um, which were, they were ordered to be destroyed at, um, 
in the fourth century, but we've been finding them since 1945. Um, that was one of the biggest findings. It's called Na in Nag Hammadi, Egypt. Mm -hmm. That was right after World War II. Um, there was this huge finding of, of various scriptures. The Gospel of Mary wasn't found there, but um, the Gospel of Mary, the three fragments that we have of her gospel um, were found also in Egypt and along the Nile, buried in urns and buried in caves. Mm -hmm. um, so there were monks who refused to follow through with that edict that went out and instead they safeguarded them. They buried them in the hope that, you know, hundreds of years later, we would uncover um, their truth. And it's, it's fascinating to me or how I've interpreted that is that we're ready to embrace the fullness of what Christ's message might've been and, and the possibility of what a practice may have been in, in relation to Christ, because what so much has, so much of the focus has been about the dogma and the rules and the judgment. And whereas what these scriptures that were, were ordered to be destroyed, what they emphasize is the practice of going inward, the practice of um, what in Greek it's referred to as the kenotic path and kenosis is means self-emptying love. So it's, it's allowing the ego to slip away so that we can fill again, we can return again to the heart and fill with love. So we let go of the ego and we return again to the heart. And this is what the uh, first Christians were practicing. So for me as a scholar, it became less and less about, oh, what could have been and more and more about what we can still try, like what we can still put into practice now that we have Mary's voice, you know, Mary's gospel. We now that we have evidence of this other form of Christianity that was being practiced before the fourth century, before it was institutionalized, you know, before Christianity became uh, what it is today, it, it was very much um, a practice of putting love first, you know, of uh, every single day looking to see the way that the ego may be guiding us and returning instead to the heart. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. And I'm also just curious, um, what I've noticed um, is that, so for example, in Catholicism, the Catholics are still having the aspect of Mother Mary, for example, in, in their prayers and all of this. But in what I've seen here in Sweden, since it's a Protestant, uh, Protestantic country, it, there's like no, if you go to a church, it's barely that you see anything like that. So what, is, is that something that was, so was it so that for, for a long time, at least uh, Mother Mary was like an important figure and then this movement removed her or do you know this? It, that, that division um, was, was about the way that the Catholics worship Mary as a saint, you know, worship mm -hmm. and, and various other saints. Um, and th that movement wanted to do away with the uh, idling, you know, the worship uh, of idols is how it was described. And so um, there was a focus more on just the teachings um, of Christ and not emphasizing so much the adoration of uh, Mother Mary. The, the issue with um, how Mother Mary um, you know, the, the, the sort of dualistic uh, situation that was created within the Catholic church and that still exists today um, is that Mary, Mother Mary became the Immaculate and then mm -hmm. Mary Magdalene became the whore. So it was this, this dualistic split. Um, and, and so a human woman 
is caught then between these two impossible, it's like one or the other, you know, Mm -hmm. there, there wasn't this understanding um, that Mary, the mother Mary had been a mother, like had actually been a human woman who gave birth to Christ. She became immaculate, but that didn't happen to hundreds of years after she was alive. And, and that was a part of the, um, the, the, there was a, a, a real purpose in creating that duality. It was to further emphasize that women were unfit for positions of spiritual authority within the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that, that dynamic, unfortunately is still very much a part of women's psyches and um, has, has been something that we've needed to, to heal from. Um, this idea that somehow our sexuality could in any way take from the power of who we are, the worth of who we are. Um, and that's definitely been a form of control for women, judging women around that um, and keeping women from exploring their power within their sexuality. Yeah, it's been really um like controlling this which is like it's 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 like taking something sacred and divine and making it into taboo and right right like taking taking it to the other extreme end and i've seen that because also in the cultures that i come from is really uh it's it's a very big issue and and how yeah it this is still happening in 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 these cultures and um it's so where where a woman's worth is is connected to her virginity or it's connect yeah yeah. it's connected to the way that she's going to be a mother and then Mm -hmm. you know give give children to the patrilineal line i mean this is this is a this stronghold this image this this idea that a woman a woman's worth is connected to her sexuality and then how to control it you know through these through these ideas and and it's so it's so strange because when I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about the whole story creation story and the apple and the serpent and all of this it's like that's where it started because it's so connected with the feminine and all of these symbols and and how that there's so much power uh, within the female body and the womb which is going through cycles every month when we're in that in that period of our lives and then um how powerful that is and how um how afraid the this this wounded masculine uh, embodiments must be to <laughs> to experience that fierceness, but I think it's it's so contradicting also because you know uh, as women we're supposed to look a certain way, please a certain way, and all of this, but at the same time not. So it's like so co- everything is so contradicting, right. right? And and that's why what's happening now. So if we can't honor and acknowledge that there is a a divinity in both aspects, then we can't uh, acknowledge that here on earth and we can't take care of Mother Earth because that's a very divine feminine aspect, like really physical embodiment of Mm -hmm. the mother and we can't take care of that either. And if we believe in in past lives and incarnation we also see that we have been embodied in both so there's still something within all of us that needs to heal and yes yeah this topic has been very very strong this week and and what's happening what's still happening is that there's so when you said to me that when you just spoke about what was what mary was told or that she was not worthy enough because she's a woman that that makes me very angry and and that that this is still happening so her story is still happening and um, 
now in the time that we are now, this is the time when we also can raise our our consciousness. So uh, the shifts are happening very fast now since we see what's happening in the world. And it's really Shakti, uh, the Shakti (laughs) acting out. Um, So there must be change, change in in our fundamental beliefs. But as we said, it's really hard to tell someone that only, so I I see it as having a heart-based spirituality or a Mm mind-based spirituality. When you're Mm mind-based in something, it can be in anything. It doesn't matter if it's a God or if it's a color or if it's a uh, weapons like if you believe in that then that that's what you're going to do and that's the problem now that people are just following like we're, we're like just following the the norms and the crowds around us and we're being uh, led to believe that right we are not important or that we are not divine so that's a big issue and yeah, I think that moving into this consciousness that you're talking about is really helping if if only one or two people uh, are awakening this consciousness, then that's how it spreads. And that's, we allow that others can also uh, think for themselves and, and uh, form their own belief structure. Yes, there's a passage in the gospel of Mary where Christ says be on your guard so that no one deceives you by saying look over here or look over there Mm -hmm. for the child of God is within you so Mm -hmm. there's there's a warning from you know millennia ago uh, from Christ in Mary's gospel saying you have to go inward you have to seek inward you have to figure out what you know is true and begin to trust it and begin to follow it. And that couldn't be more relevant than today. That couldn't be more important. And it's up to us to do that work. It, it's up to us to find a practice that resonates, that allows us to return to, I describe it as the great big unsayable love. Um, and it's an essence of the soul. It's, it's a it's a feeling of grasping in, in whatever way we can in that moment um, that love's already won, you know, and in being aligning ourselves to be in service of love. Yeah, it's really, um, yeah, it's beautiful to be on, on that path of, of love and devotion because then everything else just can. Um, rest and you can be based in that with everything that you do and and that actually creates so when we create that that peace within us it really uh, makes it easier to see and feel peace around us without needing to control anyone or control Mm -hmm. life or and just also be an observer a seer in on in this life and yeah I love that and I I really love your oracle cards and you really bring up um, these beautiful divine feminine embodiments uh, of different cultures and and did you you, um, was this something that you created from your studies and in theology Mm -hmm. yeah I they were the the emphasis in my a degree at Harvard, it was, uh, the focus was all on the voices of the divine feminine. So, and I gained so much, like I learned so much and mostly, or the, the most incredible thing I learned was to trust that voice of love inside of me. Um, so that's what I felt, uh, an Oracle is uniquely designed to help us return inward um, and to trust that aspect of us that can guide us to our own wisdom. Um, Because when you use an oracle, you ask a question and then you're drawing, you know, the wisdom from the the oracle, 
but each of the cards then has a question, a soul voice question. So you can ask mm -hmm. yourself, you can go inward with the three breaths and ask yourself a question when you're in the heart and listen for the answer. And the, um, my prayer and my intention with it is to help create the, the kind of intimacy and the kind of just trust and, and really union, like marriage, I felt like I have with my soul um, and that I trust what I hear when I go inward. And that is what is most important for me to impart to someone else is that not that they believe me or my truth, but they learn to hear their own. Mm. Yeah, so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's really amazing. And is there anything that you want to share now or how can people find you? And, and um, yeah, what are, you, what are you sharing with the world right now? Uh, my, my name, my first name is, uh, has an egg in it, which is always, so people have, uh, sometimes have trouble finding me because uh, I'm a Megan with two Gs. So it's M-E-G-G-A-N and then it's W-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N. And that's my website. I am currently working on a new book that is focused on the acts of Paul and Thecla. So I want mm -hmm. to talk about uh, her incredible journey um, to baptizing herself um, and then uh, I'll be teaching actually at Omega this summer. Uh, I don't know if international travel is going to be possible, but I'm going to lead a retreat on Mary's gospel um, on August 13th to the 15th at, at Omega. And um, that's, I'm very excited about because we're finally going to be able to gather in person in real life. Uh, after a year and a half now of isolating. So that is uh, incredibly exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, for anyone who's in the US and uh, interested in that, that, would, that sounds amazing. And um, we can't wait to have you here in Europe as well. <laughs> I know. Once, once we can, once the skies are a little bit uh, more open. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. So yeah, I'll share your, your links in the show notes. And I want to thank you so, so much for joining this conversation today. It was so lovely talking to you. Thank you. I'm very grateful we've been connected. Mm. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that this episode did inspire you as much as my conversation inspired me with Megan. And I've learned so much from her just through this talk and yeah I can't wait to also read the other books that she's written and it's really a, way, a transformative way of seeing this old paradigm shifting into the consciousness of that the divine is is if we see the divine as dualistic it has to have both yin and yang feminine and masculine aspect because that's when we heal it within ourselves if we're imbalanced with yin and yang we are not fully and wholesome wholesome way of being healthy and we feel almost fragmented so we have to create this whole within us and to the relationship to everything in the world and to the divine so I love this conversation and if you do want to check out uh, Megan's website you have the links in the show notes and in the show notes you also have the links to uh, for pre-ordering my book and if you have any questions just let me know let's take a deep breath in through the nose together and exhale out Om Shanti Om Shanti